When I think about the Democrats in Congress right now, it feels to me like they're on this vast legalistic treasure hunt. And they've got just one superpower, subpoena power. They've subpoenaed the president's lawyer. They've subpoenaed the president's son and Trump's bank and Trump's accounting firm. Yeah, It just feels to me like Congress must be running out of letterhead. Like they're constantly <laughs> requesting more from more people. Yes, that's right. Uh, and their requests have begun to escalate in this very sort of polite but pissy democratic way. Mark Joseph Stern is a writer here at Slate. I think that could sort of be the motto of the Democratic Party right now, polite but pissy. Many of these congressional subpoenas focus on Trump's financial records, analysis of the president's assets from Deutsche Bank, tax records from Mazars Group, Trump's accounting firm. Trump has vowed to fight all of them in court. And it's one of the most remarkable interbranch disputes that we've seen in a really long time, because this is not a constitutional crisis, I think, but it is an example of the president stepping into uh, the judiciary and saying, you got to stop these guys in the House because they're overstepping their bounds. Last week, congressional Democrats got the first hint that the courts could be on their side. You had Nancy Pelosi seeming almost giddy at what happened in court last week. Yes. And Democrats don't know what it feels like to win, so you should never trust them when they say they are winning. There are a couple of different cases here. One in D.C., the other in New York. And so both of these district courts said, sorry, Trump, but you just don't have the power to force us to quash these subpoenas. Democrats are going to get what they want. Whether or not it's wise policy, that's what the Constitution permits. So you're saying the Democrats are not legal geniuses here. Yes, I'm saying that uh, as much as I respect the attorney who's who's representing the House, Douglas Letter, I think that a, a half-empty box of Kleenexes could have probably won these cases because all of the law and all of the facts are on Democrats' side. For Mark Joseph Stern, these wins might seem a little basic, but they also tell you something about how the Trump administration is working right now especially when they do battle in the judiciary branch. So today on the show, Trump walks into a courthouse, and then another courthouse, and then another. How are judges pushing back on the Trump administration and Trump himself? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mark Joseph Stern says Congress has plenty of reasons to get their hands on Trump's financial records. First, they say they want to draft legislation to ensure transparency and prevent conflicts of interest in the executive branch. And seeing how Trump does business could help them do that. Then there's impeachment. 
the Constitution says that the House is the one to take a vote on impeaching the president. And Democrats say, uh, quite correctly, we have to investigate him to determine whether we want to impeach him. That is an enumerated responsibility of the House. The president doesn't get to stymie that investigation just because he doesn't like it. Another example is we've we've talked about emoluments a lot, right? The the Constitution says we, yeah, we that gotta. the president <laughs> Emoluments. Emoluments is a big word. We gotta. We're I know. Gonna use it. I know. And it's it makes everyone fall asleep, right? And that's yes, totally it's fine. It's like you hit my off button. Like I'm Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> Emoluments just means gifts. It's what people in the 18th century said instead of gifts. For some reason, we can never understand. It's like why all the S's are F's. Right. Exactly. Emoluments. They probably <laughs> pronounced it some horrible way. The Constitution says, look, the president can't receive gifts from from foreign countries without the approval of Congress. And what Democrats say, again, I think it makes sense, is we have to know if Trump is receiving gifts from foreign countries in order to grant or withhold our consent. That's what the Constitution lets them do. And so in both of these cases, the judges said, look, we're not going to pass judgment on the wisdom of this investigation. All we're going to say is that the House has a lot of power under the Constitution. Believe it or not, it's Congress is supposed to be as powerful as the president. It's a co-equal branch. And it's just not our job to step in and invalidate these subpoenas. If the House says they're necessary, they've given good reasons why they think they're necessary, we're going to honor them and treat them as legitimate. So they're basically saying... We don't know if Donald Trump was getting gifts from the Ukraine, from Vladimir Putin. And the way we're going to figure it out is by getting our hands on these financial documents. Yeah, that's right. And, and not just because they're curious, not just because they want some ammunition against the president in, in an election battle, but because the Constitution says that Congress has the authority to either consent or withhold its consent when the president seeks or receives gifts from foreign countries. So this is a pretty straightforward issue. This is why the courts took just days to rule on these matters. They said, this isn't complicated here. Just because Trump has crafted some lengthy lawsuit doesn't mean there's any merit to it. And in fact, both of these judges said explicitly that Trump's argument here lacked any merit at all, that he hadn't even raised a serious legal claim. So assuming the Democrats keep winning here and they get the ruling they want, which is you can have access to these documents, when are they going to be looking at these things? So the House here, uh, they, they have decided to play nice about appeals. So right now, the House could basically just say, hey, Deutsche Bank, hey, Capital One, hey, Mazars, right? These, these banks and accounting firms that they're subpoenaing, give us the records <laughs> because we've issued the subpoenas and the lower courts have said they're valid. So hand them over. Let's have them. Uh, but instead of playing that kind of hardball, the House is letting the Trump administration appeal 
to two different appellate courts, one in, in D.C., one in New York, and uh, saying, we're not going to force these banks' hands while you're appealing. So instead of seizing on this window that they have, they are letting Trump move up the chain, and in the meantime, letting these financial records remain concealed. So it's going to be a little while, because we know that the, the D.C. case isn't going to be heard by the appeals court until July. Even if the court rules really quickly, that means that the House isn't going to see this stuff until probably late July, maybe even August. Who knows how much longer it'll take for them to turn over what they think is appropriate to the public. So this isn't immediate anymore. It could have been. The House could have marched into Deutsche Bank, you know, metaphorically, and said, fork them over. But instead, it's kind of playing nice. And I'm not sure exactly why, but that's the strategy right now. Yeah, I'm trying to think about it. Like, why would this make sense? I mean, you get the sort of pat on the head of we're nice people, which seems to be something the congressional Dems are going for. But I guess you also could end up with an election surprise for 2020, which might be convenient. Or a third possibility is that the Dems are trying to make it easy for John Roberts to vote the right way if and when this comes to the Supreme Court. If the DC Circuit issues a really firm ruling, and then the Second Circuit also issues a really firm ruling, and then Trump still appeals to the Supreme Court, Roberts isn't going to see these cases as a kind of like fly-by-night effort to sneak into the bank and steal these records like a, like a freaking cat burglar. He's hopefully going to see this as an issue that has been thoroughly and carefully adjudicated, and that the Supreme Court just doesn't have any duty to weigh in and stop the process. So if you look too petty, Roberts may step in, and then that opens up a conversation at a very conservative Supreme Court that maybe the House doesn't want to have. Yes, that's exactly right. The House does not want to have these cases suddenly reach SCOTUS with just two district courts, uh, rulings, you know, nothing from the appeals courts on the merits. They, they want this to be adjudicated. They want to give Roberts a full record, show that there's been a full briefing and say, look, we did everything we were supposed to do. We were really, really nice. So maybe you'll play nice with us. Hmm. It is interesting. You talk about how they're hoping to get these strong rulings, this very strong foundation of, of judges ruling against Trump in these cases. And I was struck by what the judges said in these initial rulings because they're saying, yeah, this might hurt you, Trump, but that kind of doesn't matter. I wonder if you can right. talk a little bit about what the judges said and how that sort of lays a foundation for how these cases might play out. Yeah, so I think these are interesting cases because they involve all three branches, right, in a sort of direct collision. You have Congress saying it wants documents from the president, uh, from the president's banks. You have the president saying, no, 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 the banks can't give them over. And then you have the two of them duking it out in federal court. 
it's a great case for law geeks, okay? It's going to be taught in law school forever now because it's such a clear illustration uh, of how separation of powers works. And both district courts to rule so far drove this point home by saying what the president is asking us to do is not just to decide some particular case, right? But asking us to limit the House's authority, to limit the House's ability to conduct the kind of oversight of the president that the Constitution seems to expressly envision the House conducting. And when the Constitution is as clear as it is here, there's no reason for courts to wade that deep into these waters. You know, when I started looking into these financial cases, it got me really curious about all the other ways that the administration is in court. Because I was struck that there had been a bunch of cases where the Trump administration had lost on policy issues, too. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit about that to just expand this conversation to Trump's relationship with the courts and what we now see two years into this administration. Yeah, so we know that Trump has a really low win rate in court compared to pretty much all previous presidents, at least in the modern era. There's some data that the Washington Post collected here, right, uh, particularly uh, with regard to administrative procedure claims. And I'm not going to get into the APA. This is like admin law. Uh, go get a JD if you want to learn all about this. But basically, there's a federal law that says when an agency does something like Department of Commerce, the EPA, whatever, it can't be arbitrary and capricious. That's a pretty low standard, right? Like most actions in your own life, you can defend as not being arbitrary and capricious, even if they were stupid, and even if they ended up being the wrong decision. Not every wrong decision, not every stupid thing is arbitrary and capricious. It's a low bar. And so most presidents have not run into the arbitrary and capricious hurdle very much. The rate for previous presidents, the Washington Post said, uh, is about 70%, right? Obama won most of these cases because you can usually figure out a reason why some agency action isn't arbitrary or capricious. The Trump administration has flunked all these cases, like not all of them, but most of them, at least in some lower courts. The win rate on these cases for Trump as of January, I believe was around 6%. Versus 70%. Versus 70%, right. 6% for Trump versus 70% in the past for past presidents. And the reason why is not because of Obama judges like Trump claims, but because he he is doing what Republicans so often accused Obama of doing, which is coming up with some idea and then directing his cabinet members to use some law, whatever law they can find, to justify it. And more often than not, there just isn't such a law. So they're doing all kinds of stuff that simply cannot be supported by the law. And that leads to a slew of court losses because the courts are looking at cabinet members and, and agencies and saying, look, all you have to do is give us a little bit of string here, but you're giving us nothing. The president doesn't get to make law. He's just supposed to enforce it. If there's no law he's enforcing, it's just a whim he woke up with. That's not going to pass muster. Given all of these rulings, I mean, we spend so much time talking about how Washington isn't working. Is this a sign that the system is working? 
So I think a first really big test of that will be the Supreme Court census case. This is a, a quintessential test for what arbitrary and capricious means. As you know, Wilbur Ross, uh, Secretary of Commerce, uh, really broke all the rules in trying to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. Broke all the rules, was super underhanded. There's no actual legal or policy justification for the census citizenship question that any rational judge should accept. But if the Supreme Court accepts Ross's explanation anyway, if there is a five to four conservative ruling allowing the census citizenship question to move forward, that's going to be a signal to lower courts that they probably need to go ahead and let Trump run, run wild over federal law. And I think you're going to see a lot more wins for Trump in the lower courts because the Supreme Court will have indicated, hey, when this president does it, we're fine with it. That's depressing, that's cynical of me to say, but I think it's the reality, and that's one of the big reasons we should keep our eyes on that case. Yeah, I mean, you were there for those arguments, and all signs point to them ruling in Trump's favor. Yeah, and I think that if we have a conversation like this in a year, we may be viewing a much higher win record for Trump, a real turnaround midway through his term, because he'll feel like the Supreme Court is in his pocket, and it kind of will be. Mark Joseph Stern, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on. Mark Joseph Stern covers the courts and the law for Slate. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. Be a mensch. Go to Apple Podcasts. Find us. If you haven't subscribed, do it. But more importantly, leave us a rating and a review. It helps people find us. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Hold up. 